Welcome to Tender Rage with Sunny Adcock, the show for the outrageously audacious, the loudly passionate, and the slightly delusional. Together with some of my favorite people, I hope to have new, inclusive, and exciting dialogues that hold space for the anger and joy that comes with coming of age. So brew a cuppa and have a listen as we keep the rage tender. I would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the traditional custodians and knowledge keepers of the land, and pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. Listeners should be advised that this episode contains discussion on fat phobia, mental ill health, racism, and colorism. Guys, I'm so excited to introduce my latest guest, the guest for this episode, the divine Baja Alman. When I first met Baja, Gosh, it takes me back. It was such an iconic moment, I feel like, in my coming of age and growing up. It was at a fabulous Blackbirds event. I had just finished school. It was one of the first events I had been to. There there were so many POC in the crowd, so many glorious black women, and I was just in awe. I really was like, where have y'all been hiding my whole entire life? It was such an affirming space to be in as this keen sense of belonging came over me that I had never felt before and you know all my years of going to sort of predominantly white schools and spaces I remember I was with some friends and then they left and I was by myself and I was nervous but I was like I can't afford to leave this space Mm -hmm. it is Mm -hmm. too sacred and special and too rare and I was dancing and then all of a sudden you came up to me we'd never spoken before and you're like I'm so sorry I just have to tell you you're so beautiful and I was like what (laughs) She's saying this to me. Yes, I remember. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> She's speaking to someone behind me. I was like, what? <laughs> no, and I just feel like that almost epitomizes um, our relationship since then, because mm-hmm. that would have been 20, 2018. Yeah. Yeah, so we've got stuck in a couple of years it's now, which is really years. lovely. Yes. And ever since then, you have just been the biggest champion of women and creatives and black mm-hmm. women and self-confidence and growth and such an inspiration to me. Um, Basha is a model. She is a stylist. She is a creative. There's really nothing that she can't do. A fabulous performer as well. We're so excited to have you on board. So welcome to Tender Rage. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Now, aside from being all of those wonderful things and a fabulous multi hyphenate, mm-hmm. um, you're also a beautiful sort of self-proclaimed black, curvy, queer woman mm-hmm. um, and existing in an industry that hasn't mm-hmm. always been inclusive of Absolutely. those identities. And so we're going to crack on to that today because um, just this most recent week, uh, Baja walked her first ever runway. Round of applause, everybody. Yeah. In Australian <laughs> Fashion Week, which is like insane to think that that could be somebody's first ever runway, Honestly, yeah. but so incredibly well-deserved. So Thank congratulations you so to you. Before we jump into that, yes. we actually have a would you rather question oh, yeah. okay. that our most recent guest, Adan Kotson, left for you to answer. Okay. Now, are you familiar with Marvel? Yes. You've seen the most recent Avengers films, the sort of main two? Nope. <laughs> okay. The no, idea no, no. is that um, the main villain, Thanos, he snaps his fingers and uh-huh. half of the population disappears. Okay. And the Avengers then have to try and figure out how to undo this and bring the other half of the population back. And they are only successful after five years. So okay. they bring back everybody and they've been gone for five years. Wow. So his question was, would you have rather disappeared in the blip for five years, only returned to life five years later, not knowing what's gone down? Yeah. Or would you have been the one who survived and was left behind to rebuild society without half of the population during those five years? 
Oh, um, I think I would have wanted to stay, I guess. I don't think I'm, I'm not trying to disappear anywhere. Yeah. Regardless of whether if everyone's left, I think I would rather be like, I'd rather be there and trying to rebuild, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a tricky question. It is I feel like you question. can't really win either way. Because like, where do you go? Yeah. Where are you going in those five years? <laughs> we haven't like, received enough information right? to is know. Like yeah. another universe? <laughs> Could be really Something peaceful like and really that. zen. Could, I like do right? you when you come back? Do you feel restful? Yeah. Like if I've had five years worth of sleep, like that's a different story. Exactly. I'm down for that. But if we're just sort of snapped out of existence, I don't know. Yeah, and if you're coming back and it's like not fully rebuilt, it's mm. quite chaotic, and yeah. you're still kind of learning what's happened. Mm-hmm. I don't think I want that. Think about how many technological changes have been made in Absolutely. the last five years. Coming back to that, not knowing. I'm still trying to keep up and I've been here <laughs> yeah, this whole time. Exactly. What do you mean? You know? <laughs> I could not. No way. Literally. Okay, wow. So thank you so much for that question, right. Don. Um we will get you to leave a would you rather question okay, for our next yeah. guest at the I'll end of this episode. That. So yeah. let that ruminate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Basha, where mm-hmm. to begin? Where to begin? Where to begin? Honestly. So last week you walked your first ever runway, which was Australian Fashion Week. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if our listeners can agree, but my social media was just saturated with with people and their fabulous looks mm-hmm. attending or walking the runway at Australian Fashion Week. Mm-hmm. But what really stood out to me the most in the coverage of this event was your caption on a post that you published yesterday. Mm-hmm. Now, when listeners hear this episode, it'll be a week old. The caption to me was so relevant and important, but devastating. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it really captures the spirit of today's episode. And so I would love if you could read that caption out for us. Yeah, absolutely. Final walk for Oz Fashion Week, and whilst I'm incredibly proud of how hard I had to work to be on that runway stage, I'm pretty disappointed at how much of a process it was for space to be made for someone like myself. This show was not diverse, it was tokenistic, and even though it was wonderful to see a range of models of different ethnicities and colour, models of different ages and curve models, it was all still so palatable. Yes, I'm a curve model, but I'm still palatable. I'm a size 12 to 14. Where were the bigger bodies? Where was the range in hair textures? Every black woman I saw had braids, including myself, as I had to get braids in order for me to have a chance to walk in the show. Where were the afros, the shorter models? Where were the trans boys and girls? I may disappoint people with my words, but that is my full-blown truth. This industry doesn't make space for all people. It's still incredibly exclusive and outdated. It's 2021. We want to see all different types of people on our runways now. I'm grateful that I got to walk in this show so that hopefully when someone watches it, they see themselves on the runway and not just a look that they will never have. I'm glad I got to take up an inch of space and walk, but I'm sorry, it's still just not enough. Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) Period. Period. It's Mm. worth noting that you are represented by an agency. Absolutely. Um, So you almost stood to lose something by posting that. And yet it was clearly important for you to speak your truth and we're so grateful for that. So can Mm. you kind of speak me through the emotions um, that were circulating when you wrote and shared that to your Instagram account, which has over 7,000 followers. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, one big feeling that I had was fear. Like, I was like, well, I do know that people in this industry are going to see that. I do know my agency going to see this. That could mean, like, I could probably not get booked for jobs. I'll probably never walk in a fashion week again. I don't know how my agency would feel about that. You know, I don't want to let them down. But at the same time, I would be letting myself down if I wasn't being honest. Obviously, yeah, I don't want to lose, you know, opportunities. But this is it's wrong. You know, it's wrong that I feel this way. And it's wrong that it's 2021 and there's been no changes. I've seen Fashion Week 
for years. My dad was a designer in Fashion Week when I was a baby. I've seen it and I'm like, there's still no progress. I've seen Fashion Week overseas. I've been overseas and seen the models that are booked. And I've seen how Australia books their models and it's completely different. And Australia is still so behind. And I honestly can't believe it because we used, you know, black people as, you know, tokens when it was Black Lives Matter. We were all about supporting them in this industry. And then all of a sudden it's Fashion Week. You have an opportunity to show that there's change and there's nothing. There's literally no change. It's kind of like opportunities, but at what cost? Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I really admire about you is mm-hmm. that you have such strong integrity. Mm-hmm. You're not just there to get your bag. Absolutely, um, yeah. You know, you're there because you have specific aspirations and mm-hmm. people that you want to represent and goals and values that are really core to who you are, which mm-hmm. I think the perception of, of models when I was growing up was just that you were sort of superficial and you just course, did what you were yeah. there to do and to see models like you emerge who mm. are there to influence change mm. and go there with intention and purpose is really fantastic. Mm. Now, you kind of were saying that it, even prior to your experience at Australian Fashion Week, which we're going to unpack more, that it was mm. such a process. Yeah. What do you mean by that? What sort of negotiations had to happen just for you to walk this runway? Well, I mean, at first, like, I really feel like I've worked very hard to make any space for myself in this industry because you know when I first started it was very evident that I'm not tall and I'm also not quite big enough to be a plus size model I'm very much in a small niche like in this industry so when fashion week came along I was really like pushing my agents I was like I want to walk in this show I was meant to walk in two different fashion shows last year but obviously because of COVID that didn't happen so I was like you know what I really want to push my agency so yeah, so I went when I went to the um, walk for the final show, you know, I was really excited. You know, there was a lot of different models there, which was beautiful to see. And I did my walk and, you know, found out I was an option to be in the show. And I was like, this is great, great news. Then I got asked if I can dance in the show. And I was like, mm, I'm not really a dancer. I'm definitely happy to dance if I'm definitely walking because I went to the casting as a model. I didn't go as a dancer. I know how to shake my ass at the club, (laughs) but I'm not a professional dancer and I wouldn't have felt confident being Mm -hmm. in that space, especially when it's like mainly for, you know, the white gays. Did they know that you're part of the ballroom community? They did. They really did. And I think they expected me to vogue, but you can't just, you know, exploit that community when you don't care about the history of it. You don't care about like the queer community, the black and POC queer community, not the white queer community, you know. I'm not a Vogue either, so, you know, it's quite useless. Just because I'm in the Vogue community, you don't really know what part of that community I'm in. You don't understand what categories I walk, which means you're just seeing me as being that, just in part of a community, but not seeing me as a person. But anyway, I spoke to the person who was, you know, choreographing, and I was like, I'm not a Vogue or a dancer. Um, This is what I do at the balls. And, you know, they were like, that's great. We We love that. We love that vibe. And I was like, okay, cool. No worries. I had a funny feeling that they were going to drop me from the runway as soon as I agreed to dance which happened and I was like okay that's quite disappointing because I was guaranteed that I was going to walk you went there as a model I went there as a model not a dancer I didn't know dancing for anyone so um anyway I was pretty upset and you know spoke to my agency and they're like we'll see what we can do and I was you know told that I would be able to walk if I got a full head of braids. And this was a week before the show. So I'm like, you do know that it costs money. And 
I don't know if the person who does my braids is available. So that was pretty confusing because I'm like, why can't I have my natural hair? My natural hair is an afro. For years in this industry, I've been made to feel that if you don't have an afro and you have braids, you won't get work. So now all of a sudden, it's if you have braids, I've gotten work, but I had to pretty much go on my own accord, which is not cheap. And for context for our listeners, mm-hmm. it takes the good part of an entire day to get an, your an hair entire braided. Day. It took an entire day for me to get my hair done. So, and not only for me, but for the for Laura, who does my braids, having to ask her last minute and expect that she'd be free, and now she has to dedicate possibly her day off to doing a full head of braids for me. We obviously have a beautiful experience, but we also have other things to do in our life, you know? It's not like I can't just head down to the hairdressers for a good hour or two and come back with a full head of braids. Did you have any suspicions as to why... They asked you my braids because that is really interesting, that sort of dynamic, because I think a lot of the times any sort of black hair, whether that's, mm. you know, out in an afro or in mm. braids is considered unprofessional absolutely, or messy yeah. or unkempt, mm-hmm. all of which are absolutely incorrect yeah. and bigoted statements. But it's interesting that in this case, there was a clear preference. And I think that also mm. speaks to sort of texturism mm-hmm. when it comes to what types of black hair or black self-expression is considered respectable or okay or palatable Mm -hmm. but also i think speaks to the fact that at the moment we're seeing a trend that has existed for a long time where black culture is Mm -hmm. really fascinating to the white gaze and i wonder if you know them asking you to wear braids is indicative of that you know and also Mm -hmm. wanting you to dance and performing to that white gaze and Mm -hmm. having a few diverse um, models to sort of intrigue the audience without committing fully to diversity yep, yep. in your mind where does that sort of demand that you can you walking is contingent on you getting your hair done mm-hmm. which is not the same as asking you know a white model to have their hair cut or straightened because i Absolutely know that those are expectations not. of a model Absolutely this not. is this is different <clears throat> it exists in a different power dynamic yeah i'm interested to see how you sort of unpacked and internalized that seemingly harmless demand that's actually mm. quite loaded to be honest i really th- thought that it was possibly because there was already somebody with an afro going to be in the show um which is always it's always a thinking (laughs) when you are black you know um you're always like well there's only going to be space for one of me whatever that means so there's only going to be space for one of me with light skin there's only going to be one space for me with dark skin there's only going to be space for me you know with curly hair or space for me with braids there's only got to be one space Mm -hmm. for each of us you know like they don't like this industry doesn't make multiple spaces if you're poc or black at all like you will see whole campaigns and they'll chuck in one black person and be like look at all this diversity we got you know so that was my thinking i was like this is because somebody's got an afro in this show like um There was a girl with curly hair. She didn't have an afro, but going in there, there was definitely most of the women had braids. um, And I definitely think they were either asked to have braids or like had braids and were told to keep them. It could be because, you know, braids could be the new trend that Mm. white people are really, you know, interested Mm -hmm. in. It could be because maybe they didn't have enough people who knew how to Mm. deal with curly hair doing problem the hair. itself yeah you know there's multiple reasons mm-hmm. that it could have happened all um, of which speak to a far bigger problem absolutely yeah. absolutely
about that process of being in a show that mm. you know i can only imagine feels like such a huge achievement mm. because you have been working so hard to campaign for greater representation yeah. you know you exist sort of at the intersection of some privilege but also great um, marginalization mm-hmm. um being a black curvy queer you know tattooed woman mm. and to know wow this incredible thing is happening i'm a part of it and then also being sort of cognizant of these institutions having ulterior motives mm-hmm. in the way in which they present diversity and, yeah. and like as you said being palatable mm-hmm. i feel like i know that experience quite well but i'd love to hear from your opinion what it means to exist as somebody who is still not represented nearly enough mm-hmm. but is used almost as a pawn for white institutions to be like yep we've done the work yeah honestly it's really frustrating and confusing for me because you know i always want to feel a sense of like pride in being able to be a part of anything that is usually you know uh white like a white space you know looking around the room and seeing people who i know who love fashion and who invest in fashion and knowing that they don't see themselves on that runway it frustrates me and it upsets me even when i was in that space i was looking for somebody with a bigger body like i'm at size 12 to 14 that's tiny still like that's not a bigger body in regards to plus size fashion so there are so many women who aren't going to see their body on a runway and be like oh true so maybe i'm still not palatable i'm still not enough my body's still not enough to be dressed nicely it's literally that basic you know it's just about i can't wear clothes like this because i don't look like a fashion model I know for me as my younger self, I wanted to see a bigger body on a runway. I know I would, my life would be so different if I saw bigger women anywhere in advertising. And then also being, you know, of a lighter skin tone, there has been a change with having dark skinned women on runways, which has been good. But I feel like it's either one side of the spectrum, like you have a really dark skinned woman or a really light skinned woman. And then there are all these other women in between who are from different parts of Africa who you still don't see anywhere. Black women are fucking incredible. They're beautiful. And it's like, why aren't we getting as much representation as possible? It speaks to the fact that, you know, if you have faced this much adversity in Mm. your career, it's a really sort of sobering reminder of how far there is to come in terms of paving the way for sort of bigger or or darker skinned women. 100%. Um, You know, while recognizing the incredible achievement it is to have people like you be visible in spaces like that. And all of us as marginalized communities have contended with sort of white beauty standards in mm. one way or another throughout mm. our life and our, and our coming of age. But it, it's insane how actually now we'll accept some of you so long as you're this very specific kind of black or yeah. this very specific kind of plus size. Yeah, yeah. It's this modification of we'll accept you in your sort of closest proximity to what we want. We'll take exactly. some of you oh, in. Absolutely. It creates a hierarchy within marginalized communities. 100%. Um, it really does. And, and that makes it so competitive. So competitive. You know, which is frustrating because we don't want to feel that way, but we have to mm-hmm. because... They make it that way, whereas white women never have to feel that because there's always spaces for them. Mm -hmm, There's mm -hmm. always enough space for a brunette, a blonde, a redhead, you know, but there's simply not enough space Mm. for, like, a different type of black woman. There's there's only one. There's really only one. I'm laughing only because it makes me think of, you know, when we've we've all watched past seasons of The Bachelor. Yeah. And you have, you know, a series of slim you know, typically blue-eyed, brown-eyed mm-hmm. if you're feeling out there, Zestful. blue-eyed, bl- exactly, yeah. blue-eyed, blonde-haired white mm-hmm. women who look like they could be siblings or duplicates. Yeah. 
and that is allowed to be and nobody questions that being yeah. too much yeah no way and then if we want some diversity it's like oh my god there's a couple of brunettes or brown-eyed girls mm-hmm. and it's like that's within the same group of people yeah. and if that is still sort of considered somewhat radical in the media landscape, then it just goes to show where is the space for black people who are such a diverse community Mm -hmm. and are only one community of many who are non-white, who are so multifaceted and diverse and different. And if anything, media and fashion should be the place where we get to showcase and celebrate that diversity. Absolutely, because most of the trends you will see were created by black and POC people. Like, Mm -hmm. what do you mean? (laughs) You know, like they created this shit. Now you want to use it Mm -hmm. and be like, this is fashion. Mm -hmm. We created this, Mm -hmm. but we're not going to let any of the original creators Mm -hmm. be in this space. Definitely. It just sort of brings to mind the whole sort of seat at the table Mm. power dynamic in which you know the masters of media Mm. and institutions have set up this table and we're all fighting for one seat at the table and it makes us almost feel as though we're fighting our own community and our community are the people who uplift us and support us yeah it's actually more about dismantling this table and the power that it holds absolutely um and building our own table yeah you know what i mean divesting from these structures that force us to sort of shrink or invisibilize ourselves Mm -hmm. and creating space for all of us to exist at our full capacity with our full humanity on the table yeah and so i can imagine in consideration of that that it's such a weird thing because you have so much right to feel so much joy in being Mm -hmm. like oh my goodness australian fashion week is a huge institution in this industry and i am here yeah i have made it Mm -hmm. while also going I'm here and it's not what it's cracked up to be. Yeah. Do we? It, it's like, you know, the sort of Oscars so white hashtag. It's like, do we need to remove the power yeah. from these institutions? Do we need to all sort of unsubscribe or opt out if they're not changing at the speed at which they need to change? It's 2021 and black people are still excited to be invited to anything. Like, how is that <laughs> yeah. even possible? Yeah. You know, like, why do we have to feel so excited? to be invited into white spaces Mm -hmm. you know but that's it like we have to start creating our own which is really hard because obviously we don't get that funding you know we don't get that um, recognition we don't have people supporting our communities in ways where we can thrive you know we have to do that for ourselves Mm -hmm. you know which is why i'm always proud to be part of the communities i'm in because we make space in whatever little way we can, you know, whether it be, you know, the black community or the queer community or both, you know, um, because, you know, they intersect. Mm. So that's why even when I was writing this post, like, I was just like, okay, I may not be, you know, um, getting booked for some things, but I know the people around me who are the creatives. That's who I want to work with anyway. You only, you only want what wants you. Yeah, and I think that it is um, it's a strategic tool of white supremacy to give us Mm -hmm. nothing for so long Mm -hmm. that we look at scraps as a full course meal. Oh my goodness, truly. (laughs) I have seen you so flawlessly and fearlessly create your own spaces Mm -hmm. time and time again and I encourage people to, aside from the wonderful work that Baja is assigned to do, to look at some of the photo shoots that you have created Mm -hmm. yourself behind the scenes, which is really incredible. Growing up, what would it have meant to you to have those spaces made available to you why is it now that you know coming into your womanhood and adulthood Mm. it is so important for you to find those spaces Mm. and to feel represented so growing up in a white community that was already really difficult because i was surrounded by lots of white people who also idolized 
lots of white people in media. So I never saw myself in anything other, I guess like you've got Beyonce, obviously, but everywhere else, especially in fashion, you've got, you know, Victoria's Secret models. That was like the pinnacle of the fashion industry that I was surrounded by. Like I remember all my friends constantly gathering every every year for the Victoria Fashion Show, Victoria's Secret Fashion Show. And I remember always sitting there and watching it and feeling depressed. Mm. Every year it came by, I was just like, wow, I don't look like any of these women. No matter how hard I try, I'm never going to look like any of these women. My hair will never be that straight and wavy. My body is never gonna be that tall and skinny. I'm never going to have facial features like these women because that show was completely white with maybe one black or mixed race woman, you know? So it was really, difficult to see media in my childhood and I feel like if I had seen anyone with a bit of curve like I think about it now and I'm like I look at Lizzo like seeing Lizzo it makes I'm just like I wish Lizzo existed in media when I was a kid because then I wouldn't have been so terrified to be myself it's really interesting because when I think back to it and you know although you're a little bit older than me, Mm. um, we would have been sort of growing up with the same media landscape, watching Mm -hmm. the same content. Mm. And the only time that I actually saw a positive fat representation Mm. was in black media, which was never considered mainstream. And I'm fortunate Mm. to have grown up with a black mom and black extended family who sort of made those films and TV accessible to me. And I think when I, it just came to me when you were speaking about that, it's just another sort of, clear example of if you want the space created you've got to make it yourself because even then it existed but was pushed to the margins and 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 never never sort of incorporated in the mainstream i know for me growing up the one sort of somewhat mainstream representation Mm. that i just delighted over was raven simone and that's so raven Raven. (laughs) that's true she she was lucky like we were so lucky to have her because somehow she pushed through the whiteness of the disney channel and Mm -hmm. you know wasn't a show on the sideline she was a main disney girl she carried a lot of Mm -hmm. that channel on her back and so i can't imagine what she would have went through in what she would have had to sacrifice in order to become mainstream enough to reach our televisions Mm -hmm. and i love that that show you know it wasn't about her being a curvy girl or being black those things were normalized and she loved herself it wasn't a point of contention and those aren't shows that were whitewashed or made palatable so i'm so grateful for her Mm -hmm. but i abs i I so get what you mean having people like lizzo now is just an absolute breath of fresh air because it's not that those women have never existed before but they've never been in the mainstream accessible to everybody because not everybody consumes black media or has access to it Mm -hmm. i also just want to know because you have a beautiful african greek mixed heritage Mm -hmm. you know in growing up I think people don't understand what it feels like to, you know, when you say, oh, I wasn't comfortable to wear what I wanted Mm -hmm, to wear. mm -hmm. People sometimes pin that down to just being low self-esteem. But it's different when this is something that is sort of systemically reinforced by society. This is different than a white person with, you know, valid self-esteem issues going through school and feeling like they don't belong. This is, you know, seeking sort of acceptance from a society that in many, many ways tells you that you are 
the other and that you being the other is completely unacceptable Mm. and it's crazy because when i look at your social media profile now i can can imagine that the woman that i met you as is so different from the girl that you grew up being because so different i see you as such a fearless warrior um you know you exude so much confidence in person and online Mm. and so it will probably surprise a lot of our listeners that you spend a lot of time covering yourself up as a kid Mm. how did this transformation happen So yeah, like I was painfully shy and insecure as a child. Looking back, like, yes, I did have a bigger body. However, I was made to feel that that was wrong for a good majority of my teenage years. You know, um, always hearing things about my size, whether it be from people who are my friends, whether it be from boys that we hung out with, like that was always a thing. And I never really got to escape that. So that stuck with me for so long. I could never get over the fact that I wasn't going to be a size six, you know? And then also my hair was another thing, you know, being made to feel like my hair was an issue. It makes you feel ashamed to be who you are. It wasn't really until I was 19, I moved out of home. I moved away from the area that I grew up. So I grew up in the Eastern suburbs. I moved to the inner West and seeing that black women have different body types, whether some are slimmer, some are bigger, some have bigger hips, some have, you know, smaller upper frames, like seeing that all of them were so confident in their bodies, having their hair out, you know, so naturally, that was the the pinnacle of my change. You know, that was where I was just like, wow, I can be free. I can not straighten my hair and feel beautiful. I can wear a bikini to the beach with my big thighs. Like, that is beautiful. So that was a huge moment of change for me. And then I think the next point in my change was when I started walking in ballroom. You know, the ballroom community is such a loving and accepting community. It's full of so many different bodies, um, different colors, different stories. And being able to be a part of that has really opened up a new doorway for me. I remember I walked my first category and it was face. And then the next one I walked was body. I'd always, you know, I'd, I'd gotten to a point in my life where I felt confident in my body, but I never really like paraded it. And it was when I walked that category and saw how many different bodies were in that category that was where i was like wow like bigger bodies are so beautiful and they should be celebrated because that's what they do in ballroom they celebrate bigger bodies they live for it and that's what you want to see titties you want to see hips you want to see belly you want to see us that's where it hit me i was like wow like i am beautiful my body is beautiful and all that shit that i had thought about in my childhood was so wrong and so diluted by white media I think that just goes to show that there is a very specific reason that media hides these bodies and these racial identities from us, because if they genuinely did have inclusive, wide spanning representation, then they would not be able to sell us the lie Mm. that there is only one way to be beautiful, because it is impossible to see true diversity and to not just be in awe. Mm. And as a capitalist society, all of their diet cultured products, all of their hair straightening and skin lightening, like literally would not survive if they included us. Because when you see our full beauty as a people, it is just undeniable. Yeah. And that's why they keep us on the sidelines because it's it's completely tied to profit and capitalism. Mm-hmm. It is it is a threat to the existence of white supremacy for us to be fully visible Absolutely. and thriving because the lie is that, you know, we're not beautiful. 
And when you see us, it is impossible to believe. Absolutely. It really, it really, really is. huge part of my journey to challenge sort of the white Eurocentric beauty standards that I had internalized, which had also been reinforced externally mm-hmm. for me was following black plus size models online. Yeah, yeah. It has literally done wonders for my mm-hmm. self-esteem mm-hmm. and I'm so grateful for that. And I, I wish and wish and wish that those accounts and those people had been accessible to me at a young age and I'm at least just grateful that the generation growing up now does have that at their fingertips and that you know my coming of age in my 20s have that available inclusive of your fabulous account which Mm -hmm. I encourage everybody to check out but one thing that I always think about because you know I too have sort of contended with you know signing to an agency and doing that sort of work and whenever I post a photo that for me feels really vulnerable I Mm. sort of I sort of shut that thought down and go look yes, you have reasons to feel insecure or to feel unsafe, yep. but this is bigger than you. This is about, this is, in ser- this is in service of the other girls who yep. grew up like you wanting to see somebody who looked like this. Absolutely, um, yes. But in doing that, I just feel like it's so bittersweet and, you know, just so unfair mm. that for us to make the change that we want to see, it involves such a huge sacrifice oh, because yes. it means that black plus size and even plus size women of all lived experiences and identities, Mm. they have to make themselves really hyper visible online because not every single woman is, might be somebody who is comfortable showing skin or being portrayed sexually Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, even just being in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. But because we know that our existence is inherently political, being a plus size woman or, you know, a woman of color who posts regularly online on Mm. Instagram Mm. You, you open yourself up to so much vitriol online mm-hmm. and your sort of safety and your sense mm-hmm. of peace and your self-perception yeah. is really sort of compromised by the male gaze, the white gaze yes. um, and the voice of other people. You really have to make yourself vulnerable. And I think a lot of people don't talk about the inevitable cost that comes with being a fat and black woman who is hyper visible online mm-hmm. and it's unfortunate because this movement doesn't progress without our hypervisibility, yep. but that comes at such a cost. Yep. Can you speak to that experience? It's so um, double-sided, you know, like it's bittersweet. You know, I want to feel, I feel incredible. I feel powerful. I'm really happy to be taking up space. However, I'm also performing for a gaze that I don't care about. Like there's been such a process for me in terms of, showing more and more of myself. I remember when I first started my Instagram account, it was very vulnerable with my words. And that was beautiful for me. However, that's a side of me that, you know, I will give like give and take with that one because only some people have the right to know different parts of my story. Um, When it comes to my body, that was also such a process because I remember when I first started showing my body I was like I knew that I would get criticism from you know certain people in my family you know by showing off my body I knew that people would make comments whether it be people I don't know or people I do know about 
how much of my body I'm showing. And, you know, the older I get, the more of my body I'm showing, you know, and I have no issues with it personally, but people do have issues with it. I know it will affect what jobs I get booked for as a model. I usually get booked for bikini modeling or underwear modeling, but you will probably not see me in like brands where it's fully covered. There's definitely um, a risk with it, you know, Mm. and I have taken time every time I post something to reflect on the risks and then reflect on the positive changes that what I'm doing could make. And that's the biggest thing for me. The biggest thing for me is remembering my younger self, remembering how desperately insecure she was, how horrible she felt in her body, how she didn't have anyone to see who, you know, was sexy and powerful and took ownership of her body and took ownership of her sexuality and was so visible about it women have only really in the last couple of years been like taken ownership of their sexuality and been like i'm a sexual being this is how i feel this is how i practice sex like all that stuff we're so open we have such incredible um discussions about it now but before it was so taboo you know and it still is but like there are so but so many of us that just do not give a fuck anymore Mm. and so yeah i think about my younger self and then i think about my younger sister and you know, the body shame that she's felt growing up. And then I think about other younger women who have felt the same shame and felt the same dysmorphia and felt the same feelings where they don't think that they can be naked or even dressed. They don't feel comfortable dressing for themselves. It's all about what a white man wants or what a man wants, you know? So that's what I think about. And I, that's where I'm like, that's more important to me than any of the risks. Like, I don't care about what other people think of me because I know what I think about myself Mm. and I know what I'm doing this for and I know how important it may be. And even if it just touches one person, that's all I care about, you know? So regardless of the risks, what I feel like I'm doing, it's, it's important to me and it's, I hope, you know, it reaches other people. Mm. And we are so grateful to you for it. To sort of sum up this really valuable conversation, If we look back at your posts and your captions, I believe you walked two, there were two days that you participated Mm -hmm. in Australian Fashion Week. And the first run fortunately sounded like a really fabulous experience. And unfortunately, the second one seems like it encompassed all of the negative things um, about the industry. So it it proves that it is possible to create spaces that are fulfilling and that are genuinely diverse in a way that um, surpasses tokenism Mm -hmm. and palatability. Mm -hmm. As a final sort of takeaway message, what would you like to see Australian Fashion Week or a new and improved space akin to Australian Fashion Week? What would you like to see that space look like? What changes need to be made for everybody to not just have a seat at the table, but to exist within their own rights and their own self-definition without needing to shrink? You need to have establishments where the people who are creating these spaces are surrounded by these people. That way it's not like tokenism, you know? This is just who they know. They understand these people. They understand their experiences. They care about their experiences. Even with the Jordan show, like when I was getting ready, he made sure everything was good with my hair and makeup. He made sure they knew what they were doing with my braids. He actually cared because he understands people of color, you know? Whereas I don't know who is creating these other shows, but I don't think that they're surrounded by queer people of color or community. You know, I think they're constantly surrounded by white people and that's the only understanding of people that they know. 
these institutions are representing the people they're surrounded exactly. by. Exactly. The real problem is they are only surrounded by white privileged people. Exactly. And there's nothing wrong with those communities or mm. being surrounded by mm. them. But living in segregation of other people's lived experience mm. not only makes you devoid of so much joy and knowledge um, within your own life, but it means that you do not have the capacity to represent no. other people because no. you don't see them in your day to day. You, you don't recognize and see their full humanity. Yeah. So you can't represent it. So yeah. stop calling us when you need us yeah, exactly. and be surrounded by us in the rooms where Absolutely. you make the decisions, in the rooms where you unpack your day. Mm. Um, that's the real problem. We yeah. can't have diversity in media until the people in charge have diversity in their own lives. 100%. And even when, you know, anyone who is diverse comes to them, mm. if you want to change and be better, listen to what they're saying. Mm. If people have had issues with their experiences, you listen and you understand. Mm -hmm. You don't critique and you don't marginalize those people even further just because they're not abiding by what you think is right mm -hmm. like you have to listen and take it in you know and that's the only way that there's going to be change listen 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 listen, listen is the key takeaway um play beyonce dream girls listen yeah. <laughs> I don't know, it's frustrating because I want to say like, I want to see all these changes in this space. But at the same time, I'm like, I just want us to create our own space. Mm. I want us to have the opportunities to create our own spaces for ourselves because that's where, you know, people will really come into it with intent and understanding. Mm. People will ask the questions that need to be asked and listen to the people's personal experiences so that they can learn and change. I don't know if there's ever going to be like a huge shift with, you know, Australian fashion. I don't really know that. I don't see it. But like there could be something that really wakes them up. I don't know. I just want us to make our own spaces and I want people to want us to be able to create our own spaces. I want people to fund all these incredible artists who, you know, are constantly working towards change. I want to see that too. And I, yes. I, I'm so grateful to the people who make that possible. Mm. I will be supporting and amplifying those spaces. To conclude this fabulous conversation and what a joy it has been to mm -hmm. have you on, you. do you have a would you rather question that can be about anything oh, to gift our next guest? So my would you rather is if you were to walk a runway show, would you rather have horribly uncomfortable shoes or would you rather have a wardrobe malfunction on the runway? Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note. You've been listening to Tender Rage with Sunny Adcock featuring guest Basha Alman, where we discussed Australia's need for greater body diversity in the fashion industry. Follow her at Basha on Instagram. For more content, follow us on at Tender Rage Podcast and at Sunny underscore Adcock on Instagram. Tender Rage is an original production written and directed by yours truly, Sunny Adcock. Co-produced and edited by Evelyn DuBose, at Evelyn DuBose on Instagram, who also did the music you're listening to right now. Special shout out to our absolute stand Patreon sponsors, Alex Brower and Dylan Parker. We love you. You can find our Patreon link in the episode description or the link tree on our Instagram, where you can unlock exclusive benefits like early episode access, monthly AMAs, behind-the-scenes shenanigans, and credit right here on air. Thank you so much for tuning into the space. Get keen for more exciting episodes coming your way. <laughs>